I'm Anthony Walsh and this is the Roadman Cycling Podcast, the show where we empower you with the tools to optimize your health, your happiness and your longevity. Today we have a truly inspiring guest joining us, Bridget Bremner. Bridget is someone who's used cycling as a tool to deal with one of life's most profound challenges, the concept of our own mortality. Bridget's story is one of courage, determination and hope. Before we bring Bridget onto the show, I want you to take a moment to reflect. Imagine your own life taking an unexpected turn, one that shakes the very foundation of your world. For many, this is a distant thought, but for some, like Bridget, it's a reality. It's not just about the physical battle, but it's about the mental and emotional resilience required just to get through every single day. Here's a little taste of what awaits you today. None of that had changed. In fact, I was flying on the bike. So it just didn't make sense. It's like, you can't be telling me I've got cancer. I'm stomping. Like, what? what, what? <laughs> yeah, so that, that was really disturbing, how sick you have to be for you to know that you've got cancer. Since this, I've had to really, really concentrate on listening, and I've had to really go, Bridget, you need to recover. Your wearables might tell you you don't, but I've had to go, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Listen, and your body's telling you, slow down. But I know I've had some odd friends go, ah, oh, um, I'm been mining because I had a cold, and then they've stopped themselves and gone, uh, <laughs> I just felt like the biggest idiot <laughs> because they've seen that I've just kept turning up. Bridget, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Anthony. Welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Thank you. Have you been doing many podcasts? <laughs> I'm a newbie. I'm a Hubbard, if we want to call it that. Do you call that? Do you, do you call them Hubbards in in Ireland, like new cyclists? <laughs> no, but I've had enough uh, <laughs> Australian guests on to, to get that there. <laughs> to know that, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm a Hubbard. <laughs> Your story is really interesting and I know so many listeners are struggling with their own comeback and they're struggling with the mental resilience piece around that. So I want to dig a little bit into your story. If I push at times and you're not comfortable with some of the details, you know, just give me a back off. That's out of bounds. Can you paint me a little picture of what your life was like pre-diagnosis? Oh, quite different to this one. Um, So I suppose it was about... What was the next race? What was the next competition? What was I aiming for? And it was all about the sort of training around that. Um, Obviously, you know, working and and all that as well, of course. But as far as the cycling side of it goes, um, really motivated, goal-driven to the next goal kind of thing. Um, So that's kind of really where I was at um, riding about around the 400k mark, racing a couple of times a week. So, yeah, it it was pretty significant. What were your cycling goals back then? Um, so I'm a master's, I'm not sure if you can tell, um, master's cyclist. <laughs> um, no judgment. I'm my first year master this year as well. And I'm really yeah. fighting it. There was an application for master's out last week. And I was like, do I put an application in? Do yeah, I not? Yeah. I still feel Am like I'm a young yeah, lad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interestingly enough, actually, I'm in master's uh, women's four, which is actually one of the strongest categories, three and four, because it tends to be women that have been good at sport of a comp- on a competitive level, go and have children, come back, and they're more determined than ever. So it's actually quite an interesting category. And with men, it, it can be quite similar. I'm not sure how that sort of compares directly, but I know with women that's a thing. Um, but anyway, so I was I did a lot of Masters events, but previous to that I'd done, um, I'd been in um, 
teams and, you know, done sort of more elite stuff. But I had actually racked the elite side of it and went, all right, I'm definitely masters now um, and kind of just <laughs> uh, just moved into, you know, regular club racing and then aiming for the biggest states and nationals and those sort of titles. So I want to get a picture of a lot of us don't experience uh turning point in our life as significant as this mm-hmm. is there a moment when you hear the news hear the diagnosis and you hear the big c word cancer like can you take me into that moment and kind of help us understand what that's like it's it's so um i you kind of you got a feeling oh it, it might be like you said your gut is like oh I, I have a feeling this might be you know this is going to be the, the conversation. But then, of course, you don't want to believe it. But then, But then when the words come out of the doctor's mouth, you're just like, it's just, it's, it's really gobsmacking. And it's really like, oh, this can't be me. Like this kind of, this double checking, are you sure kind of thing. But then it's that roller coaster of just the millions of things that pop into your head all at once, all of those, you know, so many questions and so much uncertainty, I suppose. Um, really, really hard to... Um, put into words how many thoughts are racing through your head and how you're trying to kind of, you know, you, you just can't make sense of it, I suppose, is the, the best way to describe it. Because as a layperson, and I'm sure you probably went in with maybe little understanding of what cancer is as well, but, you know, my understanding, which is so flawed, and I'm sure like most people listening, we don't really realise it's a continuum from quite mild to totally terminal when you just hear the big C word it immediately just elicits panic. Yeah, of course it does. Of course it does. And I was like everybody else in the sense that my knowledge was fairly limited. You know, we, we, we haven't even got cancer in our family really, so I couldn't even draw on anyone else's experience or, you know, um, in that sense. But, of course, you know, everyone's seen what they've seen on TV. They've got all these kind of visions and ideas of, of, of it and how terminal it can be, of course. But I suppose one of the things that really resonated with me is like, I am way too fit and healthy for this. Like, how can this be me? This does not make any sense. I have done all of the things and I felt ripped off. It's like, what the hell? I don't, you know, I don't really drink. I eat really well. I exercise heaps. I go to bed early. You know, I do everything. It's like, what? This can't be me. But I suppose that in a way meant that because I understand my body and that's that sort of thing a lot more and have it maybe more in tune than the average meant that I um well one had a better grip of there's no way I'm gonna let this beat me for a start but secondly I think I because I noticed the lump I don't think I would have noticed it if I wasn't the kind of person that I am I suppose there's no fairness in it either like you know no. like you're saying it's it doesn't discriminate like I had a cousin years ago and I was probably 10, 15, and he was the most dialed on health of anybody I knew at that time. He was vegan before it really got, you know, that populist movement behind it. He was a martial arts instructor. He was the only person I really knew that like, aesthetically looked like a movie star, like, mm, you know, proper mm, ripped mm-hmm. six pack. Mm. And he passed away in his sleep. And I remember the family you know, I don't even think he was 30. And I remember the family just talking like, there's no sense to this because I've other cousins who are, you know, chain smokers, alcoholics, mm. living really, you know, mm. party lifestyles. Mm, and and it's him that goes, that must've been a hard part for you to deal with as well. Yeah, that was, that was really frustrating. And I definitely felt angry. And as I say, quite ripped off. The other thing that's really concerning and that's part of the reason that I decided that the awareness side of this is really important is that I had absolutely no symptoms 
you know, like I wear an aura ring. So I am all about checking in on my health and having quite a, cl- a close connection with what my heart rate's doing, what my temperature's doing, you know, all those kind of things. You know, um, none of that had changed. In fact, I was flying on the bike. So it just didn't make sense. So like, you can't be telling me I've got cancer. I'm, you know, stomping. Like, what? what, what? <laughs> yeah, so that, that was really disturbing, how sick you have to be for you to know that you've got cancer. And I'm big on, you know, I've chatted to many triathlon coaches and stuff at the moment. They seem to have quite a, a good pulse on how we move human physiology forward. And in particular, I've chatted with someone who definitely I would say you should check out. His name is Olaf Alexander Boo, and he's really changing the sport of triathlon. He coaches two of the most prominent Norwegians in the world. But I'm talking to him quite a bit about athletes being in tune with their body, where we have these measurements like sleep trackers and heart rate variability, but they're a little bit of a mask for answering Hmm. a question when we wake up in the morning of, well, how do you feel? Do you feel good? Did you notice, even though the wearables aren't saying anything, did you perceive there to be a difference? No, there didn't. But I tell you what, since this, I've had to really, really concentrate on listening And I've had to really go, Bridget, you need to recover. Your wearables might tell you you don't, but I've had to go, nah, 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 nah. (laughs) Listen, and your body's telling you slow down kind of thing because I've definitely haven't been the perfect patient. (laughs) And so I've got better at going, it's actually okay to rest and you actually will do yourself favours. There's two parts to this, isn't there? There's the one part which I feel like I'm massively underqualified to talk about the physical challenges, the transformations the body goes through. But the mental part is unseen. You know, you can see the physical part, you can see the hair loss, you can see the deterioration of your physique, your numbers. But how do you deal with that mental journey that you're going on? Yeah, so the mental journey was one I knew was going to be tough, but I didn't quite anticipate how hard it was going to be. Um, I think the the thing that happens is that one of the things we do as humans, we have we have hopes and dreams and sort of goals, right? Throw cancer in the mix, all your uncertainty goes. You all of a sudden lose your hopes and dreams because you don't actually know where they are. You think that you're going to get there and all of a sudden you're just in this spiral of, I'm never going to get out of this kind of kind of thing. So the, the whole black hole concept of it is is very, very detrimental. Um, and of course, you know, um, being an ath- athlete, you know, the physical side of things really bothered me as well because I sort of attuned that to that makes me strong kind of thing, take that away. So I felt weakened by that. So it was a combination of the physical changes obviously affect if it was affecting me mentally, but the just it just wears you down. It wears you down a lot and you can't, no one understands. You can't really unload on anyone. I'm also single uh, parent of two, so I was trying to, you know, parent them, be strong for them, comfort myself. You know, like it was just, it was totally shit to be quite honest. The things that did make it better was definitely being able to exercise. That definitely meant that I stayed kind of just just bumbling along, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I definitely I'm. Um, prepared to admit that I reached a point about three months ago that I had to actually ask for help because I just couldn't get there anymore. I couldn't see the the positive, yeah, the turning point got too, too tough. 
and like I know from even this brief conversation with you how goal orientated and positive a person you are. So that's got to be really difficult to reach out and say, I actually can't cope with this. It was, it was. Yeah. And that, that's been another big lesson for me. I'm not a good person to go, um, actually I need help. Um, I tend to just do stuff and, and, you know, I'm very capable. I can do things, um, but I've really had to learn. Actually, sometimes it's okay to ask for help and, Vulnerability itself is actually a bit of a superpower because you're vulnerable and next thing they open up and they're vulnerable. It's actually a really beautiful thing. So I've had to really learn a lot about that. You know what? I think athletes are the worst people to open up and be vulnerable because we, we're we in a battle that's, you know, it's almost gladiators don't go to war in the Coliseum anymore. The closest we get to that now is sport. Mm-hmm. And the gladiator can't show vulnerability. So you go into that sporting arena and you're trying to, you know, carry a posture. You're trying to carry a mental attitude that you're unbeatable. And any bit of vulnerability is a chink in your armor. So when it comes time to let the shield down, it's difficult. Absolutely. It, it was. And it was really hard for me to go from, um, you know, the sort of person that everyone saw as this, you know, perceived as this strong woman who's, you know, battling it out there and whatever to be going, actually, I I felt, um, what's the word? I felt shamed almost by it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it was, it was really, really uh, difficult challenge to get my head around. But, you know, in the end, I actually think it's different done me, if you can say that, done me some (laughs) favours from a mental perspective anyway. I'm wondering about how, do you, care about people's perception of you or did it change your perception of yourself did you go from Bridget the athlete Bridget the mother to now having an identity as Bridget, Bridget the cancer, cancer yeah which was hideous yeah. and I had to I had to keep reminding people I'm the same I haven't changed personality I'm the same person <laughs> I'm just do you know what I mean I, I'm just going through through this I am not cancer I am, you know, going sort of through this battle. And, yeah, it was it was really interesting because everyone identifies themselves. You know, you, you would see yourself as a certain identity and to have that challenge is really, really struggling um, if you don't choose it. I didn't choose to, <laughs> to blow my life into flames. That wasn't my decision. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's a hard one to um, get your head around. For the first time in years, I have really big targets that I'm super passionate about this summer. And although the warmer months are approaching, I don't want to slip into that trap I see so many riders falling into, just riding around with no focus and no aim with their friends, simply because the good weather is starting to arrive. I'm still using my Watt bike almost daily to keep me sharp and on point with specific sessions all the way into my target events, Rift, Migration Gravel, and Leadville later this summer. That's why I'm really happy to be partnering with Wattbike. The Wattbike, Adam, it's sitting next to the desk in the recording studio. And if I have an error between interviews, I jump on. It's removing all those friction points for me. No more 10-minute setup, unfolding legs, banging my knees off stuff, connection issues. It just works every single time. The Adam is perfect for riding Zwift because it has those crisp gear changes. Boom, boom. 
1% power accuracy and max gradient capability of 25%. If only my legs had a max gradient capability of 25%. Even if I'm riding those steepest climbs on Watopia, it's absolutely fine. I'm actually riding that custom gearing setup. So if I'm riding a particularly hilly route, I'll select a more climbing suitable gear ratio. It's the business. If you're looking for an indoor trainer, if you're looking to stay sharp this summer and not lose that hard-earned fitness over the winter, I couldn't recommend the Whoop Bike setup any higher. It's the last indoor trainer you're ever going to need. Head on over to whoopbike.com now and check out their full range. We talk about nutrition constantly on this podcast. Fueling pre-session, mid-session and post-session, they're vital for performance and for recovery. As I age, I'm becoming more aware of what I'm putting into my body. Have you ever stopped and taken a second to read the ingredients on the back of a traditional sports bar or gel? I literally can't even pronounce some of the ingredient list. It's scary. So many additives and so many chemicals. I've been on a search to remedy this and I was so happy to find Veloforte and we're now teaming up with them on the podcast. 100% natural, gluten-free Veloforte products have never upset my stomach while I've been out training. And this used to be a big problem for me. My teeth and gut are also thanking me for eating real food when I'm out on the bike. Veloforte are kind of like making your own energy bars and gels at home, but with none of the mess or none of the effort. They taste absolutely amazing. I honestly struggle not to eat them in the evening time with a cup of tea. The range is so amazing. They have good healthy bars, protein shakes, and performance-enhancing chews and gels, all created to help you feel better while you train. Head on over to veloforte.com now, and if you use the code ROADMAN25, that's going to get you 25% off your first order. What's a day in the life look like when you're dealing with this? Yeah, so it's, um, I'm tied to the hospital. Like, and I don't say that in the sense that I'm always there. You kind of, but you always are there because you're always working towards the next appointment and the next plan of when you need to be there. So everything you do, you're like, okay, I need to go to this appointment and this treatment's going to equal this. And then in my downtime, I need to do this, 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 and this to sort of to get back to the next appointment or, you know. Um, so, for example, the first two surgeries I had six weeks, oh, about six weeks in between. So, of course, my <laughs> athlete brain was, okay, I need to recover this. And then as soon as I can, right, I can start walking and I can do, do, do blah, 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 to get myself <laughs> as fit and strong as I can to the next surgery kind of thing. Um, and I know that sounds weird for the average person, but you probably get that. Um but then with chemo, the same sort of patterned, pattern happened and I think it's the way my goal brain works, I suppose, that I'd have the chemo treatment. I'd know that I'd have to be on the couch for um, five days. <laughs> well, not on the couch, but you know what I mean, like really take it easy. Yeah. And then I could see how much I could get done within two weeks and time to have the next next one. It just Yeah. So it's you basically just live your life around the cycles. When you're going through stuff with chemo, it's obviously quite passive. You're... You know, you're not out the back doing the garden and at the time you're doing chemo. So you've a lot of headspace to get through. How do you process goals around that time? Can you allow yourself to think further than the course of treatment? No, no. And that is where I started to become really dark because I felt like I was in a tunnel that I couldn't see the end of anymore. And because I'm goal-driven and goal-motivated and always working towards the next thing, even though I knew it was only 
10 more weeks or whatever. <laughs> you try telling yourself 10 more weeks of lying on the couch for a week every, you know what I mean, like 10 more cycles or whatever. It's really, really, uh, really hard to do that. But what I actually did was very fundamental. I got a calendar and I just crossed off the days <laughs> and I just started doing that. And and that to me, to be able to do that every morning, oh, another cross, it, it helped. I don't know how. What was your biggest support during all this? Actually, my cycling community. So I live in uh, Australia. I've been in Sydney for 12 years, but I'm actually a Kiwi. You might have noticed a slight change of accent there, Anthony. Um, and, <laughs> and all of my family, everyone's over there. So, of course, this was a challenge in itself because I had no one to immediately call on. So back to that, you have to ask for help. But my cycling community have been absolutely outstanding and the, the, the best. I, I, I actually can't believe how I'm so humbled by how amazing they were from the people that started bringing food and I was like, no, no, I don't need food. But, oh, shit, I needed it sometimes. Well, <laughs> 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 I did. Um, Uber became a good friend um, just on Wednesdays. Netflix and Uber was my Wednesdays. But other than that, they actually started a whole sort of fundraising thing and just just simple things, you know, just all those little things became massive. And the fact that I have such a big community of riders that start from that really beginner level through to the, the guys that I used to ride with, but what it meant is I could slot back in with some of the other guys who weren't quite as 400 to 500K-ish. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I, I still had friends and people to, to be with. It was it was amazing, actually. I've spoken to so many people on the podcast about community, and it's a really overlooked aspect of our health. I know for me, I'm so goal-driven to move my fitness goals forward, to move my podcast goals forward that it's easy to get up in the morning and just rattle through a to-do list. And I don't know why, I'm still struggling with this. Like meeting up with a friend for a coffee. Like I know it's important. Now I've seen the research, but it's somehow difficult for me to squeeze that into the day to give it the priority of recording a new podcast episode, to research a podcast growth strategy or do my own session. I don't know why we don't balance that. You know, in times of crisis, it's obvious the community becomes important. Oh, so Was important. community always important to you? Um, I think I'm a very social person in the sense that I'm very much part of the cycling community and have, have always gone from club to club to club to race to race. So I've had like this really broad range of people that I've been able to, you know, get to know, but never really on this sort of deeper level. And, the, you know, going back to what you're saying about the coffee, the fact that people were prepared to make some food for me and bring it to my house out of their busy day, which was just like, my, you know, like my, mine was, would absolutely floored me. And I think from a human perspective, I definitely will be a better human in the sense that my empathy level <laughs> has grown and my understanding of people and, and how people need people. They really, really do. Um, it doesn't have to be on a, you know, romantic level, but you need friends and you need you need support and you need community for all different things um, and, yeah, to call on it. I think conversations like this even shine a mirror on our own behaviour, like for myself and anyone listening to the podcast, like, you know, are you engineering into your day social connection to help people that need it? Because, you know, you might also need their help at some point and reciprocity is very powerful. Yeah, I felt guilty. I felt like I haven't done enough for these people to 
to do all this for me. Um, they see it different, of course. We always see ourselves different to how they do. But I'll definitely make far more of a conscious effort. <laughs> um, and, you know, especially now I can see that because my brain's not just focused on myself, um, I'm starting to notice things, you know, oh, they're moving overseas, I should really reach out and see if do they need a hand for anything, you know. Whereas before I would have just been, oh, they're moving overseas. Community is interesting because the idea of it has kind of evolved where, yeah, you have your physical in-person community, which I think is, you know, in a hierarchical sense, the most important. But we do have a new layer of community now, which is virtual community. People make amazing friendships online and they never meet these people. And I know you leaned quite heavily on my whoosh during your rehab as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely have that social community. And I was going to touch on that before that obviously I've got the people that I genuinely ride with but then there's that social community I can't believe how many people went out of their way to message me to see how I was you know like yeah that that was incredible the my wish community has has been really good I um I sort of started with them right back in the infancy a, a friend of mine started working with them and you know so I started writing but yeah the, those, those women actually they've been they've been totally inspired by me the um the woman that sort of race the platform and that kind of thing. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's been good. It's been nice. It, it's a brilliant uh, little piece of motivation as well. I know we've started a weekly time trial on my wish. You must join us on one of the Tuesdays if the time zone works for you. Yes, I did. That's why I, I checked the other day, what day, what time is that? So I could see, because it's going to be a 6 a.m. for me. Oh, it's pretty. Uh, you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> I'm not, it's not about that. It's like, but time trial <laughs> at 6 a.m. is like, that's commitment. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great piece of motivation. I know my girlfriend's uh, fiance uh, now, we have one what bike in the house between us. So we had to play a little bit of rock, paper, scissors to oh, see who was actually going to do yes, the time yes, trial. Yeah, yeah. But I was sharing her your story with her and it's great motivation and inspiration for someone else because they look at you getting up and putting the miles in on my whoosh. And it's like, what's my excuse? Like I'm perfectly healthy. Well, I've got a busy schedule. You know, I'm tired because I had a meeting. Like your excuses, the normal excuses we use to justify our inactivity, just they melt away when you listen to your story. Yeah. Yeah. And I I do feel um, it's hard because for me, it's just, it's just who I am. I've always been that person and that's not faded, which I'm so, so happy that it never did. But I know I've had some odd friends go, oh, um, I haven't been riding because I had a cold. And then they've stopped themselves and gone, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just felt like the biggest idiot <laughs> because they've seen that I've just kept turning up and kept doing it. But, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying and thank you. Where are you with your treatment now? Yeah, so I'm actually right at the end. I'm really excited. I, I think I'm the only patient that's going in for the last of – I'm in the radiation for the last of the treatment and excited every time I get there because I'm like, yes, another one kind of thing. You know, um, I'm pretty sure they don't have the <laughs> patients running in with excitement that it's the end. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, so I've got another 19 radiation sessions to go um, of, of 25. Uh, but the thing with radiation is it's a daily thing. So you go every day which in itself, even though the sessions I don't find particularly taxing, what's taxing is driving to the airport, uh, sorry, the airport, I wish, uh, driving to the hospital, having the session, driving back. So it's like a chunk of every day that's dedicated to that. Um, and they are definitely a little bit fatiguing afterwards. 
Roadman, I know how serious you take your goal setting, whether they're fitness or life-related goals. If you're looking for a powerful ally to support you on this journey, look no further than Huel. Huel has become my secret weapon for when I don't have time to prepare a balanced meal, ensuring I get the nutrition I need without sacrificing time or taste. Plus, it stops me from reaching for the takeaway menu. I always throw a bottle into my backpack when I'm heading into the city to work and it stops me eating croissants and junk food, you know, just generally stuff that don't support my training goals. It's handy and it's nutritious and it's over 22 grams of protein. Huel's perfect for athletes who don't have time to cook or prepare food before a training session. It's convenient, nutritious fuel at your fingertips, ensuring you hit your daily fueling needs for your session. Huel Ready to Drink has over 26 vitamins and minerals in every single bottle. You're getting a whopping 175 health benefits. Plus, they're all natural ingredients, stuff like topeka, sunflower seed, coconut, and more. And the best part... The flavors are amazing. Eight mouth-watering flavors. Iced coffee is in my backpack at the moment. You can get your hands on Huel ready to drink directly to your home just by going to huel.com forward slash roadman. That's huel, H-U-E-L dot com forward slash roadman. I know we're not allowed to mention Lance Armstrong anymore on cycling podcasts, but... It helped me. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask. Did it did it help? Because even the way he gamified his treatments and looking at biomarkers and saying, okay, well, here's the improvement I'm going to make today. These biomarkers are going to change. Did tapping into that sort of thing help? Yeah, it did, actually. When someone mentioned to me that he had done that, I was like, I'm going to look into this. And then when I realized that he was riding every, every day through his treatment, I don't know if it's every day, but let's just say for argument's sake it was, I was like, well, I can do it then because when when you go through this, the oncologists, they don't have patients like me. They don't know what to do. When I said to them, hey, um, I, I kind of want to ride my bike. I, I figure I'm just going to have to do indoor riding. And they're like, what do you what do you mean? And, you know, because in their mind, riding your bike is, you know, like going along with the pushy with the basket on the front, but getting some something from the bakery. You know what I mean? Like that, that's, that's what <laughs> their head space was. Um, so then when they sort of said to me, oh, no, you, can, you know, you can ride your bike if it feels okay. I don't think maybe what they were allowing me to do <laughs> at that time. But I took what the fact that they said, yeah, if you want to, and then what he was doing, and I'm like, I'm just going to see what happens. And what I learned is it actually didn't make me any worse. It, it mentally made me a lot, lot better because it made me feel that I was a bit more in control perhaps. But it didn't make me feel physically any worse. I certainly didn't ride to the abilities I did before. But I think it, it really, I, I think if you've already got that fitness, stick with it. Yeah, definitely don't stop. I think that would have been way more detrimental. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because Armstrong was cancelled before cancel culture existed. <laughs> he was the first man to ever be cancelled. But it's a little bit of a cautionary tale for us as well. You can't, we're complex, multifaceted creatures. You can't take, one person and say, cause he doped every single thing that this person touched is invalid for his whole life. Armstrong sprinkled, you know, magic and hope onto millions of cancer mm. patients that got mm. a copy of his book. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I definitely, you know, that um, that sort of mentality that he took, um, even though, you know, like everyone else, obviously I've got my own opinions about him, but just focusing on the cancer side of things, then yeah, for me, I found it inspiring and motivating. It's like, if he can do that, um, then I'm going to see what I can manage. And it turns out I managed it really well. Um, 
I had to be cautious, but yeah, it, it was it was really good. Have you had time yet to pause and kind of reflect on how this experience has changed you as a person? Like your priorities, your motivations, your values? Yeah, yeah. So so I think that, and I sort of mentioned it before, the fact I've ended up seeing a psychologist to, you know, obviously get through this, but what it's actually done is it's, the timing has actually been really good and it's given me, if any time to really, really think about who we are and what we want moving forward, if this is it <laughs> um, kind of thing. So so the timing actually, I'm a little bit of a silver linings person and I think that being burnt to the absolute ground because that's really what happens with this um, has actually given me an opportunity to really sort of grow from that. Um, as far as my goals moving forward, I probably don't want to share them <laughs> on this, Um but I definitely think that it's changed me in, in a in a positive way, which is a, such a weird outcome. I, if you'd asked me that when I got the diagnosis nine months ago, oh, do you think you're going to be better at the end of this? I would have told you where to go. Because it kind of brings death into focus. And I think so many of us run around like thinking we're going to live forever. Like you only need to look at the way we spend our time. Like if you read deathbeds, uh, kind of reflections from anyone. Everybody on a deathbed always says the same stuff. I wish I spent more time with family. I wish I spent had more adventures. I wish I had more time with friendships. Mm. But then when you look at how we spend our days, we spend our days in such trivial ways, like fishing for Instagram, like yeah. scrolling yeah. TikTok. Like yeah. when you bring death into focus for people, I I think it changes them. And I think more of us, whether we have a you know, health concern or not, should be looking to bring death into focus, not in a morbid way, but a way going like, this doesn't last forever. None of us are getting out alive. No, in fact, it, you know, just for example, I've been wanting to see the Food Fighters and they came to Sydney last weekend and I just went all out. I'm like, this is something I'm going to do. I'm not even going to think twice about this. I'm not going to think how much the tickets cost. I'm not going to think, you know, all of that stuff because this is something I really want to do and it was about the memory of it. Next year, I want to go to Italy. It's costing me a lot of money, but I'm like, this is my opportunity. Tomorrow, I could get another bit of bad news. Just, uh, you know, if the opportunity's there, just seize it because you never, if, you never know. And I think I'm the perfect candidate for you do not know. <laughs> Next thing, you know, it's, it's on your plate. It's funny, I've been trying to, the Stoics call it memento mori, and it translates as we will die. And it's not for morbid reasons. It's just like to savor your experiences. Imagine you knew that the last time you're on a bike ride would be your last time. How would that change your bike rides? Like, would you listen to a shitty podcast, the uh, music, or would you savor the sounds, the sights, the smells, the camaraderie? It changes everything. It totally does. In fact, I've done a lot more of that. Um, you know, like every... Everything that I found myself doing, especially now that I know that I'm, it's the worst of it's behind me, and it, everything's just really excited. I feel like everything's got a shiny focus on it now. Like I'm really excited <laughs> about things. You know what I mean? Like I was at the concert, and I've got a lot of neuropathy issues on my leg, thanks to um, thanks to the chemo treatment, which we're working through. And I was going, oh, my leg is hurting. But then I'm like. But I'm alive, and this is the best concert. Does that make sense? And I was going through these waves of, yeah. So it's it's really really interesting. I, I at the moment I'm having a lot of moments of, I am alive. I have survived this. Watch out, kind of thing. It's, it's exciting. <laughs> 
I spent a lot of years living in Toronto and I got a chance to go back. I was piloting for a friend on the tandem and the world championships were in Toronto a couple of years ago. And, you know, I'd spent seven or so years in Toronto and hadn't been back for five years and I got to go back out. But as I was leaving, I'd started reading some of this stoic philosophy and the idea of memento mori. And as I was leaving, I just kind of took a little bit of stock and I was like, okay, this is Toronto. Like I'm 40. I may not go back to Toronto. This could be it. Yeah, this could be it. This is your memory of it. Yeah. There's so many other places to see that maybe I don't go back there. I don't have the same reasons to go back as I used to. So it's like, okay, Toronto, it's this is good. It's been a blast. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. To the next. Like, but this could be yeah. the last time I'm ever here. And it, it does change that perception of it. Yes. Yeah, it does. And, you know, you can take that and I, on any of your walks, even just, just for a minute, just notice those birds and stuff. Um, and it, it's, yeah, it is really refreshing because it's the little things in the end that people care about. It's not like, like we're saying, it's not the big things. It's not the dollars. You're not going to go, on your deathbed and be thinking about how much money you've got in the bank. I tell you what, it's not going to be that. <laughs> what message of hope or resilience would you give to somebody who's listening to this podcast now in the same way you were reading that Armstrong book as a little bit of motivation to face the battle ahead? It's probably setting the small goals. I think that's the biggest thing and looking at the timeline. And, you know, like I said, the simple things of, okay, th- these are the things we need to get through. We've got three months of this because they give you a timeline. You know what your treatment's going to be like. And to instead of focusing on, oh, my gosh, we've got a year's worth of treatment that have to do what I've did was went, okay, one surgery, next surgery, three months of this treatment, chemo, three months of this, and broke it down because otherwise it was too overwhelming. It was just too much to cope with at once. And you just cannot see any positivity out of that. Um, so I think breaking it down into smaller portions and a feeling like it was a win, trying to go to the treatments going that this is me fighting back. This isn't me giving into it. Does that make sense? Um, this is me taking control of the cancer. I am having the treatments to fight back against it and looking at it with that mindset as opposed to that sort of negative this is making me sicker mindset, which is what I think a lot of people get stuck in. Bridget, I really thank you for sharing so openly and honestly. I know it's not easy to talk about topics of this gravity. So thank you very much for your time and for sharing today on the podcast. Yeah, thank you.